Good morning, everybody, and this is Elliot Fishman uh, welcoming you to our latest podcast. We're in the uh, last week of August 2006. Amazing how the summer's gone fast. I know that I have took my son back to college last week, so the summer really has gone fast. Now, we have a special guest today. No, it's not Eric Clapton or Paul McCarthy, um, but it is Kerry Sperry, who's Director of Communications and Development for the American Rank and Race Society. And I saw Kerry in my office this morning at Hopkins, and I got scared. I thought she was there because I forgot to pay my dues or something. But no, she was here on some official ARS business, and it's a pleasure to welcome her here. And since she was here, I thought I would uh, ask her a couple questions. And uh, so the first question, Kerry, uh, A, welcome, and I appreciate you uh, being able to be interviewed with us. And my first question is, what's new at the Rankin Ray? What's new at ARS in terms of education? We're involved in very exciting things at the American Rankin Ray Society. Coming up very soon is our cardiac CTA meeting, which you're involved in, of course. Uh, This is our third cardiac CTA course, and they've been very, very successful. This course will be held in Chicago September 15th and 16th, and uh, registration is wrapping up, but there is uh, on-site registration available. If you're interested, um, I hope that people will log on to our website at www.ars.org. That is, uh, again, www.arrs.org. We're also working on um, annual meeting for 2007, which will be held in Orlando, May 6th to the 11th. And we have some very exciting programs planned for that. We are going to do our case-based imaging review course again. That course is all cases, uh, one case after another, representing all the subspecialty areas in radiology. We have several half-day courses planned. One uh, is a business course, a business practice management course, and we also have planned an interventional radiology course looking at minimally invasive treatment options. We also have a course planned on uh, lung and breast cancer screening. Um, We will, of course, have 75 instructional courses as part of the annual meeting. Registration for that won't open until January, but you can log again onto our website and get more information. Um, Watch our site, too, for webcasts. Uh, Many of our webcasts are free for members, and uh, we taped many of the sessions at our 2006 annual meeting and we will have those available online soon. So that, in a nutshell, is what we're working on at Rankin Ray. That sounds great. Uh, Now, I know the categorical course I've participated in past years. What's the story with the categorical course at this year's Rankin Ray? Our 2007 categorical course is going to be on neuroradiology. Uh, The course is directed by Dr. Mauricio Castillo, Dr. Kelly Keller, and Dr. Suresh Mukherjee, and will focus on brain, head and neck, and spine imaging. That course, of course, begins on May 6th, the Sunday, and runs through Thursday. Thanks a lot, Carrie. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I'm sure all our listeners will be joining you at those meetings. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Dr. Fishman. Okay, let's um, look at one of the questions I've been getting a lot on CTSS on that Ask the Fish area, and I'll just apologize in advance. I've been kind of slacking off a bit, so I have a bunch of zeros under my replies, and I promise this weekend I'll uh, crank out those Ask the Fish questions because Melissa's giving me a hard time. So let me uh, just uh, address one of the questions I've seen come up a number of times lately, and that question relates to uh, 16 versus 64 slice. The question kind of revolves around, well, 64 slice is great, but... Are there pathologies that you see with 64 that you don't see with 16? And uh, it's a great question. In many ways, it's uh, 
an interesting question because 16 slice really is terrific technology. There's no doubt when you think about bread and butter CT, 16 slice is terrific, but 64 slice has certain advantages, there's no doubt. And obviously, I could speak about anything related to contrast volumes. I could speak about anything related to the difficult patient or the uncomfortable patient or the fact you don't need sedation in any pediatric patient. I could speak about all those practical things. But if you get down to specific pathologies, obviously, if you want to do cardiac CT, you have to be in the uh, 64 slice world. CT angio is terrific at 16 slice, but really, uh, when you do 64 slice, the vessel visualization really improves. Also, the ability to get a quality study every single time significantly improves. So I think one of the things, is some, in some ways, it's a matter of relative uh, strengths. For many applications, 16 is very good. 64 does make things better. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of articles beyond coronary where people are going to say, let's look at pancreatic cancer staging. 16 versus 64. Those are just very difficult studies to do. You can look at results in the literature and compare the best papers at 16 with the best papers at 64, and you can make a relative comparison. But in our practice, 64 is the way to go. We have 16 slice scanners, and yes, I would say there's no doubt rule out an abscess or appendicitis. I'm not sure you're going to get a significant gain going to 64 or going to dual source or anything else. But uh, it does make it easier to do. Also, I think 64 slice really uh, allows you to change your paradigms in terms of volume imaging. You can do a lot of reconstructions fairly robustly at the 16 slice level, but really it's a 64 slice level that really makes it a true reality. You can get thin sections every single time with the 64 slice. You use the d- detector width of, uh, say, 0.6 and then you reconstruct data at 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5. So whether you're looking at small bowel obstruction or appendicitis or you're looking at mesenteric ischemia and you want to track the vessels, whatever it is you want to do, 64 slice really makes that indeed uh, very, very much the way to go. So again, uh, 16 is great. I don't want everyone to throw away the 16 slice scanners in that regard, but reality is 64 does add a lot of advantages. And uh, what I'll try to do is over the next couple podcasts and over my vodcast really is potentially address some of the very specific applications where 64 does make a significant difference. There are also other questions uh, um, actually from Ben who, who wanted to know about uh, you know dual source versus 64 versus 256. And his question was, again, the same concept. Are they producing more accurate diagnoses, or is it just sales propaganda? Well, sales propaganda always is good. That's what keeps, uh, I think, radiology moving forward. But uh, the fact is, uh, in terms of dual-source scanning, which we're putting in Hopkins in a couple of weeks, I think it's been very interesting what dual-source can do. As I you look at the response I sent to Ben on uh, Ask the Fish. I commented, of course, the evaluation of coronary arteries, the fact you're at 83 milliseconds, the fact you probably don't need beta blockers, the fact that the quality of studies will improve. Uh, that's very critical uh, in that one application. So that's kind of straightforward. The thing that dual source potentially brings is new applications to CT. So, for example, um, can you... Uh, 
you know, separate calcium from contrast. So you can look at coronaries when there's significant calcification or look at carotids when there's significant calcification. That's something that indeed it seems very, very practical with a dual source scanner. Uh, in fact, you can look at uh, just our own thoughts on the matter. Uh, there's a new urologist at Hopkins who just started about three weeks ago, and I just can't think of his name, and I'll pronounce it wrong, so I won't mention it. But him and I met, and one of the things we thought about with dual source is something we did 20 years ago, which was look at renal calculi and try to determine composition based on how it behaves with dual source. I did that on a DR3 in 1984, and we had this really good article we were going to write, and we had all the data, and then someone dropped all the stones, and they got all mixed up. So we'll be more careful this time. But that's just a good example is can you quantify what a stone is? Not to say there's a stone present, but give me the chemical composition of a stone. That's something dual source uh, truly has the potential for. So I think one of the things to recognize is in this era of rapidly changing technology, it's often hard to predict the future. Uh, our goal at Hopkins, of course, and this is not overly obnoxious, is uh, something Alan Kay, who was one of the original Apple fellows, said that uh, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And uh, with that word of wisdom, I think I'll stop and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot for your attention. Bye-bye.